the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, as controversies continue to swirl around Hillsong Church, what should their next step be? And then Americans' return to church has plateaued. You're listening to The Common Good. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on this Wednesday afternoon. Hump day. It's hump day. It's kind of cold and, and dreary outside, but hey, spring has sprung. We can still hold on to that here that's in the right, Chicago. That's land. right. It's only going to go up from here. Yeah, I don't think that's true. I'm sure there's a snowstorm in our future, but hey, spring <laughs> break accurate. is coming at least. And we're glad that you're with us. If you've missed any of our shows this week, go get the podcast, wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. That really does help us out a bunch. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com. Like, I'm going on spring break here coming up and going to be traveling. And what better thing to do than to download some podcasts? Great point. While you're cruising All on the you, road or you're on an airplane, you listen to some common good. Yeah, some Brian you, and I will send you off on your trip in luxury. Yeah, like if you're going to be sitting style. on the beach and we're all jealous of you this week. Hey, there's a podcast waiting for you. So, That's right. That's right. I uh, hope all of you getting out of town have a great vacation. But Aubrey, there was, uh, speaking of weather and springtime, where things kind of seem to happen. Did you see in New Orleans that tornado that happened live <gasps> on TV? So devastating. Yeah, and it hit the Lower Ninth Parish, which is, if you might remember, mm-hmm. is the area that was devastated by Katrina right. years ago. Right. And and at last report that I saw, I haven't seen in a little while here, they were seeing only one or, or very few people dead, which the guy in the Today Show this morning who was interviewed said would be a miracle. Oh, I hope that if that's that true. were Bless true. And so, yeah. again, I haven't seen any updates. Yeah. I'm sure that those have happened. But, yeah, just I know this sounds flippant to some people, Aubrey, but legitimately thoughts and prayers absolutely. right, for the people in New Orleans yep, right now. Absolutely. Uh, devastating to think, especially because of the trauma, like you said, from Katrina, you know, this must feel like, whoo. Kind of reliving that. So definitely praying for the people of New Orleans. Yeah, the guy in charge of like the ninth ward, the ninth parish, I should mm-hmm. say, said, we're still picking up and recovering from Katrina. In my mind, I was like, Ooh. that's like, like, I, isn't that like 20 years ago or like 15 years ago? It's a lot of years ago, yeah, like 15 yeah, years ago, yeah. which just reminds you of how devastating mm, that was. Awful. So praying for the people in New Orleans. And Aubrey, major news came out of maybe the largest Christian denomination that's not actually a denomination organization, that being Hillsong. Anybody who doesn't know Hillsong, Hillsong is out of Australia, but it's really a worldwide church planting Christian movement. If you go to church and your church doesn't just sing hymns, you're probably singing Hillsong songs. A lot of people go to conferences or concerts that are put on by Hillsong. And Hillsong is started, was started by a man by the name of Brian Houston uh, and his wife, Bobby, uh, 
decades ago. Well, major news yesterday, Aubrey. Things have been building there. Brian Houston is kind of on a leave uh, over some allegations that he um, ignored sexual abuse allegations against his dad yeah. many years ago. But other stuff, right? The Carl Lentz stuff in mm-hmm. Hillsong, New York. You've got mm-hmm. the Reed Bogard stuff at Hillsong, Dallas. That literally, uh, uh, there's an accusation of rape right there. You've got uh, all of these fires across of Hillsong. Well, yesterday, uh, Brian Houston resigned and the board acknowledged that they were accepting his resignation. And Aubrey, uh, Hillsong is a Pentecostal church that has 30 locations around the world, 150,000 people weekly. And like I said, that doesn't even include the the podcasting, the songs, all of this. The the music, yeah. yeah. So I have a difficult question for you. But before we dive (sighs) into that, just a reaction. We keep doing these stories. And the Brian Houston one's not a new one. Mm -hmm. This is just kind of the finality of it. That Mm -hmm. All right, he's going to be done. Yeah, He's no longer going to be at Hillsong. This is... For people who don't know, in the Christian, evangelical, Pentecostal, church-planting world, this is seismic. This is massive. I mean, I have good friends that will be and are, I'm sure, deeply influenced by this because they've been deeply influenced or connected with Hillsong. And so it's, I mean, it's just devastating. I, In fact, I was just talking to a couple good friends of mine who are not from Hillsong, but they're in the Pentecostal church world, and they were just like, I don't even know who to trust anymore. Yeah. Like, is there any church that is unscathed by this like how do we and then kind of in this conversation um both of my friends kind of stopped themselves like okay my job is to be faithful to serve jesus to love people my job mm. it, you know and you just kind of it have to go back yeah you have to go back to like okay we are here for one name that's the name of jesus not even for the name of hillsong church as influential as they are and our job is to love God and love our neighbor. And mm. like, we cannot, I mean, I'm saying fight against this stuff. It's horrific, not For ignore sure. it. But what I'm saying is like, as church uh, consumers, we cannot get caught up in these, uh, the worship of these types of leaders, because then they always fail us. <laughs> right. Way, and so it? we just have to keep our focus on Jesus and I really stand with the women stand with the victims. Yeah. Let me be a little nitpicky towards Hillsong. And I understand why they announced this. They're trying to announce a resignation. They didn't fire him. And so they said, irrespective of the circumstances around this, we can all agree that Brian and Bobby have served God faithfully over many decades and their ministry has resulted in millions of people across the world being impacted by the power and grace and love of Jesus Christ. While maybe true, not the right time. That's how I feel too. I, 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 and again, you and I were just talking about this yesterday. You're not supposed to use the term tone deaf anymore. (laughs) So I'm trying to, but this is tone deaf. Like it's not the moment to say that. Yes, those things are true. Absolutely. Don't, don't say it right now. That's right. That's Stand right. with the victims, period. So let me ask you the hard question, and I'm glad to answer it first if you want. Okay. Uh, Hillsong, we see fires everywhere. It feels mm-hmm. out of control mm-hmm. at the in Australia, Hillsong, New York, yeah. Hillsong, Dallas, yeah. Hillsong, this and that. And obviously, it's a huge organization. Right. Should Hillsong continue? Or does there come a point where there is just too much fire mm-hmm. where you go, you know what? It's t- there's something wrong at the at the roots of this. Mm-hmm. I think people ask this about some of the local churches around sure, here sure. when Bill Hybels uh, sure. resigned or others. Is there is it rotten to the root? Yeah. Or do you believe that even a huge yeah. organization like Hillsong, when they do the hard work of cleaning house, can uh, can get on the right track? Yeah, I I hope and and I yeah I hope and pray that like you said when they do the hard work. 
when they do the their job of cleaning house, they really can. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, this is a huge organization, and these are devastating stories. Um, but I do hope that like the rotten fruit hasn't spread everywhere, mm-hmm. and that um, what they f- were founded on, which was you know the name of Jesus that, that Jesus can still go forward, but it's not going to be with these leaders. And I think that's the key. And so I do appreciate this resignation of the Houston's because I think this is the, um, this is what we see in some of these stories is they try to keep the leader Mm -hmm. in place because look at all the fruit, look at all the amazing things they're doing. But one of the first really good steps is just like, you got to remove the leadership and then you start fresh with a new team and you evaluate from top to bottom, like where have we gone wrong? So if they can do all of those things with a repentant heart before the Lord and actually like an outsider's perspective, that's really looking at the health of the church, then I don't know. I don't think they need, I don't think they need to close. I say that next week, Brian, if there are more and more stories (laughs) that are coming out, you might hear a different answer. Because it does feel like there's a point of, of, of no return at some point, but I would like to give them the opportunity here, but it's going to require uh, a lot of really hard work and soul searching and going, no, 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 we've got to tear this down to the studs Mm. and go, where did we go wrong around here? So I know in the church world, when I use the word cult, it brings something, this is not a cult, but there's the phrase cult of personality. Right. And all too often in the Christian world, and I think Hillsong is at the top of this list, this cult of personality in which it's about the speaker, it's about the artist, it's about the singer, it's about them. As opposed to, and they would say, no, those people are a conduit to Jesus. But I think over time, the cult of personality becomes you lose your way. And I think we've seen that in some churches around here that are hopefully doing better. Uh, But certainly at Hillsong. So Mm -hmm. I would encourage people, if you're unfamiliar with the story, I believe there's still that documentary coming out. uh, Go check out Hillsong and what is going on there. Because, again, if you sing worship songs in your church, if you you have been influenced by Hillsong. That's right. And uh, there's a lot of fires going on there right now. And uh, hopefully, like I said, like you said, over at Christianity Today, Aubrey, uh, they did some research. This article was written by our friend Kate Shellnut. Americans return to church has plateaued two years in more congregations are open without COVID-19 precautions, but Americans aren't more likely to show up. Let me just read some of what they found. And then I would love for us to respond. Churches waiting for more people to return on Sunday mornings are still waiting two years into the pandemic. Over the past six months, nearly all houses of worship have reopened uh, without a lot of the precautions. But mm-hmm. the latest figures from Pew Research Center show that once regular church attenders are much more likely to show up, uh, that once regular aren't much more likely, I can read well, to show up than they were back in September. Oh. While people steadily return to church services in the first half of 2021, the trend has hit a plateau. Going into the third year since the uh, COVID-19, congregations and their leaders are left with the reality that the people who worshipped alongside them before may not be coming back. Here's the statistic. Around two-thirds of people who usually attend church at least monthly said they were back in the pews in March, uh, roughly the exact same as September of 2021. And it's only two-thirds. Wow. So what Pew Research is trying to say here, Aubrey, is you go back to February 2020, yep. pre-COVID. Yep. 
that the average church has lost a third of their people. Okay. With, wow. And it's plateaued. Wow. So that a plateauing seems to imply... This is where we are now. No, there's still some people watching. There's sure. still some people, yeah. but not a third of your people who are like uncomfortable. Right. right. And so I think for us as pastors and all of us, and yeah. I, we had this conversation at our elder meeting last night, mm. but the, the question becomes, uh, where are they? Yeah. What do you do? If, right. if this is a commonality amongst most churches, really, if we can extrapolate from here, you're saying a third of the people who were regular church attenders are no longer regular church attenders. Right. Because it's not just that they shifted or all churches would feel the shift Correct. and be going up together. But the fact that all churches are sort of landing at this like 70 percent of what you once were. That does tell you, like, where is that 30%? That's right. That's yeah. right. What, Carrie, what in the world's happening? Kerry Newhoff, former pastor, he's a church leadership strategist. He does a bunch of things. He said this, 2021 had many leaders clinging to the idea that the next season, Easter, the new school year, Christmas, etc., would bring attendance back to 2019 levels. For most churches, that magic season never materialized. In 2022, the constant cycle of hope and disappointment will give way to the new reality that this is your church. Mm. It will become evident that some of the people who said they're coming back later clearly aren't coming back ever. Mm. All right, let's unpack this as uh, commentators, but more so let's unpack this as pastors. Yeah. This, Aubrey, is really difficult for me uh, as a pastor because I, I don't know, you can share about your church. We have found these numbers to be true. Yes. And we've also found regular church attendance to Ed Stetzer's words the other day to be less regular. So even the people who've come back, it's been a little bit more spotty. But your churches, our churches are smaller right now. And you're kind of like the pandemic feels over. Where are you all? And and you're chasing people and not figure out. Let's just start here. I have found this to be highly discouraging. Yeah. And now to read these things that are going, hey, by the way, there's not well, I I can I read what he said. I remember saying in a staff meeting, hey, let's target the new school year. Oh, wait, the pandemic is kind of waved up. And let's target <laughs> Christmas. Like mm, his exact benchmarks right, right. were the benchmarks that we used. I, I guess I would like to just start personally. How do you and, and your husband, you, Kevin is the pastor, a mm-hmm. pastor. How do you how do you say, are you guys co-pastors or he's the lead pastor? He's the lead pastor and I'm one of the pastors. You're one of the pastors yeah. and you're writing books and doing radio shows yeah. and doing all this other yeah. stuff. He's definitely running, running things because I got too much to do. How are the two of you? How do you wrestle with this? Like when you're sitting alone looking at the numbers and this and that what does it do to your soul so i already said it hurts my soul um, so i gave you that in the window so like so personally i let me tell you a story to answer the question there there have been one or two people who've said i'm coming back after this happens i'm coming back mm-hmm. after this happens well all those things have happened and they haven't come back in fact i even texted somebody this week hey this one thing happened you're waiting for are you coming you know mm-hmm. didn't hear anything And I understand people leave churches. Um, Do I find it discouraging? Yes. I think the question I'm really asking myself, Brian, and I think a lot of church leaders, including you, are asking ourselves this is, how did this happen? Meaning, did we not shepherd our people well enough so they understood the value of the fact that they're part of a body? So you just don't leave a body. You just don't leave a family like Without you don't just ghost your family like um, I guess what I'm saying is, did we inadvertently, like the rest of the world, create consumers and not Mm -hmm. contributors? And I thought we were doing better than that. Like, I I just I feel like it's on us as leaders 
to do a better job of discipling people so they understand the value of what it means to be part of a church family. I think it, this showed what has happened over the last two years, exactly what you're saying has showed uh it's it's easy to wag your finger at the people who aren't around and and just say what's your problem yeah yeah it's our problem right. like you said right. what have we shown about what the church is and the value of the right. church and the purpose of church and uh and by church i mean weekly attendance or you know every other week yeah. att- regular attendance uh like i understand the church isn't only sunday yes, morning but it is connection. but it's a yeah. huge part of it mm-hmm. uh so what have we taught and then i think the the question has to so i do think you have to do kind of the autopsy right what is going on yes but then the question becomes what now what do you do about it and i said to our elders last night i said guys i think the single biggest thing we can do right now uh is to chase people interesting to go into a season of not begging yeah not please come back but the easy thing for people mm. is if if you've kind of drifted away from the church and yeah. it feels like nobody noticed, yeah. you're going to keep drifting away from the church. Right. And I'm not even saying chase people in order that they'll come back. Right. Hopefully. I, I would be thrilled by that. Sure. But just to go, hey, tell us what's going through your mind. Yeah. Tell us why you didn't come back. Yeah. Not even to our church. Are you at another church? Yeah. Are you that's like doing that work because that's going to help us. Going forward, almost like I mean, this is not the term music. Almost like an exit interview, like help us understand what right. happened, and then, and then I think the the real benefit, Brian, is you're you're reaching out to those people saying like, look, we noticed that you were gone, and so mm-hmm. you may choose to decide to you know go someplace else or not go anywhere, but just know like we've noticed your absence and you matter to us. Yep. So reaching out, that's really good. Chasing people, I did this with. Uh, and I will, before I, you know, say that I'm doing this great, that for every one story yeah. I have of this, I have four in which I, I didn't. Same. Uh, but there was a woman in our church the other day who I noticed hadn't been around for a few months. Yeah. And I just sent her an email. Not yeah. like, where have you been? Just, yeah, hey, I miss you. Hope you're doing well. How can I be praying for you? That's like good. that kind of thing. Guess who showed up to church on Sunday? <gasps> wow. Right? I, think, I know we have a lot of pastors who listen. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Here, I, I like this saying. It's not. It's not rocket science, but it's hard. It is hard. What makes it so hard? Because time. I think that's what it is. Time and energy, and then for me too, I feel a little bit of a weirdness. Like I, this isn't right. So I'm acknowledging this is I know exactly not right. What you're gonna say. I almost don't want to know. Like, are you? What were you? How did we disappoint you? What did we do wrong? Like, it feels a little awkward and uncomfortable yep. to be like, all right, I'm opening myself to hear all the things that we did wrong. Like, that feels very vulnerable. Again, I'm not saying that should stop me, but that's totally a reality it. of it. And I also feel like sometimes when it's the pastor who reaches out, it feels like you're the principal, like uh-huh, reaching out yeah, to somebody. Yeah. yeah. If I told our elders last, and I'm like, it'd be really helpful if some it of you guys came yeah. and it came from us. I do think this is a season to reflect and also just okay, how can we do better going yeah, forward? And yeah talk to the people who haven't been around. Maybe they'll come back. Maybe they yeah. won't, uh, but have those hard conversations. Right. So an interesting conversation right there as churches wrestle with, I think forever, Aubrey, I'll end it this way. I think forever our churches will be defined as pre-COVID and post-COVID. A hundred percent. It is a new line in the sand of our narratives. It will yep. oh, The way that our country was pre-9-11 and post-9-11, That's it. I don't think churches can ever be looked at the same yeah. uh, pre- pre-COVID versus post-COVID. That's right. Aubrey, I, I'm sometimes reminded of the power of social media. We do the social media water coolers. So we have a question up there right now uh, about where would you go if you could work remotely? Where would you yeah, and go anywhere? Are, 
the people country. People are throwing some good places out there. That's right. But just yesterday, I kind of, if you listen to the show yesterday, you know, we had this strange conversation about recurring dreams and that yes. my mind was blown yes. that you and our executive producer, Keith, uh, producer, Keith Conrad. <laughs> you were thinking Keith. Yes. Teeth. That you guys both said that you have had the number one recurring dream in America, the teeth falling out dream. Yes, which you've never had and you were shocked by. Not only have I never had, I've never heard of. Yeah. And so I kind of put it on Facebook. I was like, this blew my mind today. Like, I don't can't I be feel right. like I'm being punked. Yeah. This can't be right. <laughs> And things got like 40 comments from people in my life going, have that dream all the no time. No way. Like, what is going on? That's amazing. So you can check that out. You can follow Aubrey and I individually at Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, but also follow the show. All right, Aubrey, here we go. Uh, you and I are both parents. We are pastors. Over at Church Leaders, I saw this just provocative question that I was like, okay, let's have this conversation. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Linder asked this question. Should I allow my child to question his or her faith? Should I allow it? So not only should I be worried, because there's that. And it, you start to read this article, and he's taking this from, like, he's got, like, 8-year-old, 10-year-old. Mm-hmm. You and I, our kids are older. They are. Yours are well, preteen, early teen. Yes, that's accurate. Mine are more early teen, late teen. Yes. So we're kind of in that. So I do think it changes. This conversation changes. But, Aubrey, I found it really interesting that he even positioned the question of should we allow our child yeah, interesting. to question their faith? So let's take it. Let's try to answer his question first, and okay. then we'll we'll keep pulling that string and okay. keep going. Maybe gotcha. what do we do as our child is questioning their mm-hmm. faith? But. Is there an age where you go, nope, I won't allow you to question your faith? Is there an age or what do you think about his question? Should we allow our kids to question their faith? Uh, yes, 100 percent. We should allow our our children to question their faith. I, I, I'd i be I mean, there probably are some parents out there. And I there are times I remember in my own childhood, my parents being like, no, this is what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we believe it. Like, you know, you will not bend from God's word. But I think questioning their faith and us having discussions and maybe even naming things like there's not a great answer for this. Here's mm. what people think around the world about this who love Jesus or or actually, yeah, I really have thought about this. I've wrestled with that, too. Here's what the Bible says, X, Y, Z, or here's what our church believes, X, Y, Z. That is so good for kids to see modeled, to mm. experience, because the reality is. Every single one of us questions our faith. That's right. I don't think there's one person who at some point does not do that. I think you're probably lying if you say you've never questioned your faith. But we have to learn to question. I mean, that's in the Bible. Like People question Jesus all the time. We have to learn to question in order to faithfully follow Christ instead of just doing it blindly. Mm -hmm. So I actually think it's very healthy uh, to build up kids who are willing to ask hard questions That's, because then they become adults who can answer hard questions. Yeah, and I would rather have my kids questioning their faith in my home than uh, outside of my there home. There you go. That's and not right. to mention they probably will question it outside yeah, of my home as well. But uh, And I will give this author, he does answer his own question with yes. yes we right, should let right. them. And in fact, he goes on to say, uh, he says, I want my faith to become his faith, his son's. And the only way that will happen is when he is convinced that the Bible said what the Bible says is actually true, not just because dad mm. says so. And that's final. Yeah. He said talks about how they have an open door policy in their house uh, about being able to ask them any questions like help. My, we want to be there to help you wrestle with it. We don't want you to have to hide from us when you're having these. Yes. Legitimate so good. Questions. So good. So how do we how do uh, how to ask this? Aubrey? How do we not freak out when our kids are having questions about their faith 
And at what point do we freak out when our kids are having questions about like the foundations of their faith? Do we ever get to that point? Yeah, I hmm, I don't know if I can totally answer that. So let me just think through it. So I have a son who asks a lot of questions about the faith, and I just think they're good questions. And so for us in our family, we at least try to be like, oh, that's such a good question. Let's mm. discuss that. And we like Kevin and I really enjoy that. And so it's fun to kind of have that as part of our family culture. So we haven't hit a place where it's like gone too far. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess for me, if it's I'm trying to think of the situation in which I would be like, that is too much asking. You need to stop. It might be if it's in a spirit of like rebellion instead of curiosity mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. just like anger or rage instead of um, I do think, though, as parents, this is, I think, the really important. I don't know if I want to call it caveat, but I would definitely call it a guidepost. I have seen parents who allow their kids to question their faith to the point where they're like, okay, my kids no longer have to go to church with me. Oh, I'm mm. not going to send them to youth group. They'll make up f- for themselves if they want to follow Jesus or they're going to explore other religions, etc. I think that's too far mm. Be- because as long as your kids are still in your home and under like your authority, you're paying for their food. I still think we are the primary spiritual leaders in our kids' life for a season. And so it's important that even as they're questioning, they still like you still go to church with mom and dad. You still go to it doesn't have to be a youth group activity, but youth group or small group or your discipleship group, whatever it is. So you're still our family practices this faith. You're going to participate in that with us when you leave the house. Sure. Go explore. But right now, like I'm going to disciple you in Jesus. Mm. Think that what I'm trying to say is there are parents I've seen Christian parents who have stopped discipling their kids in light of this questioning. And I think both have to be true. A safe place to question. But your job is to point your kids to Jesus. Interesting. Interesting. I do like that. You just set the bar as I buy your food. Therefore, you will <laughs> you can tell that I buy your food sense. and your clothing. You, you, you'll go to church with me. <laughs> I buy your food. Therefore, yeah. uh, blank. Uh, what about the parent right now, Aubrey? Who's listening? And I know neither you or I have kids at this stage. So uh, this is a little bit unfair, but we are pastors and people ask us these questions. What about the parent who's got the kid who is, who has, uh, they're not questioning, they've somewhat, it feels like they've rejected the faith at the moment. Um, that I, that would be a huge, difficult thing to work through. What's a word of hope for them? What's a word of uh, just, because I, I think if I were in their shoes and my kid was 25 years yeah. old and out on their own and really far from the faith, yeah. uh, I would be losing my mind. And 100%. So what there's do we no say? Doubt and there's that. undoubtedly people listening who are in that scenario. So what, what's a word for them? Uh, I mean, you know, you think about Jesus telling the story of the prodigal son, mm-hmm. right? And, and I, and of course we hear parents talk about these prodigal kids quite a bit. I think the word of hope is that like God is in this, God is near, God is pursuing your child. Mm-hmm. And, and again, like you said, Brian, we're saying this as parents who haven't been through this yet. You have to, in some sense, release your child to the Lord, but be on your knees constantly praying mm. that God will bring them back. I actually have a good friend going through this right now. She has a son who um, just said, I'm done with church. I'm done with you. I'm out. Moved out. Move out of the house with his girlfriend. Oh. And she was, I mean, angry, hurt, everything you yes. can imagine. And she got some advice you just love him from afar. So she would do things like make a lasagna, leave it on the front porch and just say, thinking about you, love you, mom. Mm. 
She would send him text messages every once in a while. Not a lot of pressure praying for you today. Just subtle, not trying to control or convince her. And like two years later, he's now back at the house. He's now coming to church with them. Like the Lord is slowly bringing him back. Now I know there's a lot of parents. This goes on 10 years, 25 years. Mm -hmm. You, I think ultimately you have to trust that the Lord loves your child more than you do. Be on your knees, get a lot of people on their knees praying and trust that like God is going to complete the good work that yeah. he began. That's a great word. I, I remember hearing from a pastor friend of mine who was a lot older than me. He said, we were talking about this and he was sharing his story uh, with this group of pastors. And he just said really wisely, he said, the best advice that I got, even when things were really hard from a friend was keep fight for the relationship, mm, fight for the relationship, that's so good. fight for the relationship. And you're always their parent. And so, uh, yeah, but it's not easy. And so I think that's a great word, Aubrey. God loves your child more than you do, yeah. I think is is really an important thing to hold on to. And as always, we love engaging with you on social media. We've got a question for our social media water cooler up right now. We would love for you to find us at Common Good Talk on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Answer that question so we can share your answers on the air. We might even invite you to come be on mm-hmm. the air and talk about it with us. Brian, um, so you and I just had a conversation about running the race. Finishing well. Finishing well. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that in mind, some of the conversations you and I have had in the past I thought might be interesting to have today is... If you were, let's say you're your 85th birthday or, you know, be a little dark, you're on your deathbed. When you look back on your life, what are the things you wish you had done Mm -hmm. or maybe wish you had not done in order to live that faithful life? There's an article we're going to dive into about that. But before we do... Do, does anything come to mind for so if, you? If I'm on my deathbed and you're like, what do I wish I had done leading up to that? I'd be like, I or, wish or I got not a, done. I wish I got a comfortable bed. I'm going to be worried about like there. Uh, no, there we've talked about this before, but I think uh, if you're on your deathbed and you've, you, you know, you're looking back over your life and you've got time to reflect, I, I would have to guess that in that moment you're going you're going to be grateful for the time that you spent with your family yeah you're going to be grateful for the love that you shared and was shared with you with family or church or whatever else uh, I think that you're going to be grateful and think back to the experiences that you had mm-hmm. um, kind of like the roller coaster of life but yeah. also the, the the things you got to do and it becomes important to go what won't I be thinking about and I think the answer to that is I won't be thinking I won't, oh man I wish I finish this, you know, I, I wish I worked more hours right, or I wish I right. climbed the corporate ladder more right. or I wish I pushed, um, you know, I, I think that those are the things that we give so much of our life to now. Mm-hmm. But even now, as I look back over my life, let alone your deathbed, mm-hmm. but even now I look back and what do I think about? The vacations I took with my kids yep. and my wife, yep. the, the the fun family moments that yep. we've had, the, the fun things at church that have happened, like these other things. I'm not like, oh, you know, I, I wish I did. And so I, I think that becomes kind of the common theme for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the love I've shared with my family, the mm-hmm. time I've spent, the experiences we've made. Yeah. And I think that's it. Isn't it interesting, Brian, that that does seem to be true for all of us? I think all of us would agree with that. And yet we don't always live like that. No. We're so stuck in our and I'm guilty of this striving and hustling and doing the next project or building, you know, and and. It is, I think this is what's so tricky is I really do think God like cares about our vocation and wants us to be mm-hmm. passionate about what we're doing, but not 
sacrificing our relationships, our loved ones in the middle of it. So, yeah, it's could we live now the life that we want to look back on? I think that's that's an important question for all Uh, of us. You and I have said it multiple times on here. Like if you looking back and I think we as pastors, one of our main jobs is to not only live this out, but help people be faced with this. Right. You one of our jobs, I believe one of our callings is to help people live in light of uh, in light of rea- uh, eternity. Yeah. And because because the reason I think that we live the way you just said we live is because we don't think past tomorrow or past mm. and we think that we're especially when you're younger you think that you're you know you're always there the end of your life is the last thing yeah. on your mind yeah. until you get that bad diagnosis or whatever else right. but I I think the idea of going okay how do I want to be remembered? What what will I be looking back on and value and not regret? And then working backwards and going, okay, how do I have to orient my it's life good. now? And yes. it might look different than all of your friends are right. doing. That's the hard part about this, too. Yeah, As is. everybody else is striving and striving and striving, maybe you go, you know what? This is the amount of money I need. I'm going to be content with that. Mm. And I'm going to value family time. And I'm yeah. going to value this. And I'm yeah. going to value that. Verse and your friends might look at you and go, you're nuts. That's crazy. Like, why are you not pushing? Why are you mm-hmm. not pushing? You know, you're an author. You, okay. You wrote two books this year. Why are you not writing four? Yeah. Why are you yeah. not writing? The, and and your yeah. whole life can be consumed. Yeah. Your church is 200. What are you going to do to get it to right. be a thousand? All of this thing or right. the business world out there. All you got to do is climb the corporate ladder. And all of a sudden you get to the end of your life and you're regretful mm. and none of those things are bad. See, that's right. what's important that you point out. None of those are bad. Right. None of those are sinful, right. but I think we just get our priorities mixed up. I think we do too. And and perhaps it's like my birthday, but reflecting back on that, like you, you know, time does go fast and our time here is so short. And so making the most of it doesn't have to look like you're saying the success we think it mm-hmm. does. Perhaps we need to even redefine what we think of as a successful life. Well, I bring this up, Brian, because there's a hospice nurse who went really viral on TikTok. And, um, of course, a hospice nurse by her trade is caring for people as they die. And she shared the top four regrets that people have before they die. And it's interesting that um, I think it's interesting and telling that this went viral because this is, I think, something that shows like the longings in all of us. But she explained these top um Five regrets. I'm excuse me. She said one. Most people at the end of their lives have regrets about not appreciating their health. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, really interesting. We could uh, tackle some of these here in just a minute. Um, not appreciate being not appreciating being alive. Not appreciating the little things. Working their life away and then not spending more time with yeah. family. So these are some of the things that we just talked about. I think the one that stood out to me is um, not appreciating your health. Mm. Because I don't know if I, I don't think I appreciate my health, meaning I don't think about it very much, which goes to show you I'm a healthy person. And I live with a chronic autoimmune disease, but I'm in a really good season where I feel well. And so I don't even know the last time I've been like, thank you, God, that I'm in a season where I feel really good right now. I could see how you're on your deathbed sort of wishing, oh, I wish I would have taken better care of myself. I I wish I would have. Go ahead. Well, I think the thought process is I'm on my, I'm at the end of my life and I'm looking back going, I made some decisions that got me here Yeah. or the yeah. last couple of years have been so difficult because right. I'm, you know, I didn't take care of my health. Right. So I think those are it. all of these. I mean, we basically mentioned these, Aubrey. I think the little things is an impress is, mm-hmm. you know, are, they're kind of implying when you're on your deathbed, you're kind of thinking about 
taking a walk in the Arboretum or yeah. the, going to a ball game right, or whatever right. else. And, and I think for me, the overall point to this is just it went viral. That should tell you something. Mm-hmm. But also... Uh, we used this phrase before. This this isn't rocket science. It's just hard. Yeah. We know how to do this. We yeah. know what this means. But when we just don't think about it and allow ourselves into the flow of what everyone else does, yeah. then you end up focusing on the wrong things. And then mm-hmm. you get to the end of your life and regretful. Mm-hmm. And I don't think any of us want to get to the end of our life don't. regretful. Yep. But you got to make the hard decisions now. Here's what this hospice nurse says as uh, what she's learned from these confessions from her patients. She has learned to be in the moment to live presently, to be grateful, to don't take your don't take for granted your health. The little things in life matter. And then she says, don't work your life away if you don't have to or make it so you don't have to spend time with those you love. Not necessarily family, but those you love and make you feel loved. So we hope that that encourages you today to live the kind of life that you want to be able to look back on and feel like it was a life well lived. Mm. One of the things we say pretty consistently on the show is that Brian and I are both pastors. Brian is a lead pastor and I'm on uh, the teaching team, one of the teaching pastors at our church, Renewal Church. And we both planted our churches. Right. Brian, your church has been around for 11, 12 years. 12 years. 12 12 years, years. Yes. You're twice as old as we are mm-hmm. at Renewal Church. So very, very, um, very, very fun. Mm-hmm. And the last two years, very, very complicated. Yes. One of the things that you and I have talked about on the show before is some of the research that came out from Barna, the Barna Group, which is a research firm that focuses mostly on religion. They said that, you know, because of the last year, last couple of years, so let's just call it COVID. COVID time. Yeah, that uh, 38% of pastors or two in five pastors had considered quitting their full-time ministry. So they kind of argued that 38% of pastors had one foot out the door. Mm-hmm. That would, That's my language. That's not their language. But we're really considering leaving. Pastors were exhausted that those couple years were probably the hardest years in ministry ever. And so, of course, a lot of pastors were thinking about Mm -hmm. leaving. But Mm -hmm. interestingly, Religion News Service has an opinion piece saying that perhaps that isn't necessarily accurate. Maybe that statistic is a little more um, dramatic than it actually is. Now, it's interesting. In the summer of 2021, they asked nearly 2000 clergy if they considered the previous year the hardest year in their ministry experience, two thirds uh, claimed to have thought this at least once or twice. Uh, another third said they thought that was true very often. Hmm. A third of pastors had a year harder than 2020, which that seems a little bit shocking, but I'd like to hear those stories. Or maybe I wouldn't want to hear those stories. It would be too <laughs> depressing. But what's interestingly is that what they're arguing is that um, a majority of pastors responded in the past year that they never thought about leaving their church. Mm -hmm. So that was a little bit different than Barna's finding, which said that um, 38% of pastors had thought about leaving their church. But there is certainly some overlap, right? That some pastors have, especially over the past two years. You and I have friends who have either considered or have actually walked away. I've got some friends this weekend that are announcing their resignation from their church. And a lot of it is because I would say, Brian, this is totally anecdotal. So I I have nothing to back this up. It's not necessarily because of the pandemic, but it's like they were already burnt out or already maybe on their way out. And then the pandemic and leading in the pandemic, they were just like enough is enough. Mm. I can't do this anymore. What's been your experience of pastors, friends of yours and Uh, where they're at? Yeah, I think there's... um 
it, the last two years has felt very roller coaster ish, mm-hmm. and it feels unstable, right, underneath you. And so, I think there's a couple different things going on. I think there's a lot of self doubt going on with pastors, uh, and you and I have talked about it personally, right? Yeah. There's a gosh, my giving's down. My numbers of people here on Sunday morning are down. People aren't coming back. There seems to be this general angstiness at times. Like, why can't I get this figured out? And so I do think when you don't feel good at what you're doing or as as good as maybe you felt before. Right. I I think it becomes natural to have doubts. Is it time for me to go? Does the church need somebody else? Do Mm -hmm. I need to do something else? I think that becomes natural. So I do think a lot of this has to do with personal um, kind of evaluation of how things are going on. And then also, I, you know, I think there's people who probably are like, this isn't what I signed up yeah. for. I didn't sign up for, do we have to wear masks or not? Right. Do we, who are you voting for? Right. Do we have to do this or that? I, I didn't sign up for that. And I think that gets people, uh, pastors riled up as well. And so, uh, th- those are it for me, but Aubrey, I, I do think it comes down ultimately for pastors. Let me speak to the pastors out there. It comes down to a question of calling, a, a question of do, because I always get worried in these studies about not people leaving their church. I think there are times to leave a church, Okay, but I, I get worried more about the statistics, especially in the Barna study of people leaving the ministry. Mm. Like whatever has happened over the last two years has caused me to doubt my calling that I'm not called to be a pastor anymore. I think that worries me a little bit more because again, I don't think, yeah, sure. We, we know of people who stay in their churches 30, 40 years, but I don't think that's common. And so for me, it's different. Like leaving a church versus leaving the ministry, I think are two Two different different conversations. And Brian, let me spin this a different direction. Again, this this article is basically arguing while those Barna statistics might be accurate, this won't necessarily be the greatest, you know, pastoral resignation we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. They're saying a lot of those pastors are actually going to end up staying. How do you know, you think, as a pastor that you're like, I need to step away. I should not be leaving anymore. Uh, like leading it all in a church or your current church? Um, I guess maybe let's answer both leading in your current church and then perhaps like I need to get out. Of that's ministry. Uh, yeah, that's a hard one because mm-hmm. I do think. Um, so let's take your current church and I've never left a church. So let me make yeah. sure to caveat that I was at Glen Ellen Bible Church yeah. uh, for 10 years as a youth pastor and uh, the adult ministries pastor. Mm-hmm. And I planted Four Corners Community Church 12 from years ago church. from there. Yeah. So all of it's been very healthy. Yeah. Uh, with that said, I, I think, um, is this too Pollyanna a little bit? I think, you know, when you know, Yeah. Like I think there's a gut feeling that mm-hmm. says I'm not effective here. Mm. It, we're off mission. Mm. I can't, they're not listening to me anymore. And I don't mean listening as in like, do this, but like, you know, when you're speaking, you speak a lot, Yep. you know, when people are, are hearing you and you know, when your voice has become too common, yep. there you go. It's the same reason yep. that. Uh, that that sports coaches get fired who were the best coaches ever. Yeah. Eventually, your vo- they need a new voice. And so I do. You think, need like a fresh perspective or fresh energy or something yeah, like that. I, and I think mm-hmm. that's fair. I think mm-hmm. there's great studies out there that say your most effective parent uh, parenting pastoring years at a church are from year six to ten. Uh, because of that. And so I think, you know, when you know, in my opinion, yeah, but also good. find some people you trust who could tell you, hey, you're not seeing what's going on here. Yeah. Like you're. By all metrics, you're, you're, there's something going on at this church. Uh, when to leave the ministry? Yeah. Again, I think that one's a more difficult one. I think there will be low points. So I don't think the answer is if you're in a low point. Okay. But if, if what you're doing 
only brings you misery or yeah, or angst and it's becoming it's hurting your you know your emotional your physical yeah. your family yeah. uh like and that will leak out onto the people that you're leading and shepherding it's not good for anybody so i think again you'll know if you know but i think if you're like I can't find any, I'm finding no joy in this whatsoever. Yeah. Again, it doesn't mean that it's always easy. Right. It's not, that's right. not what no job is. But I think if you know that it's just kind of killing you and it's not doing anybody any favors, then I think it might be time to go. I do hope that what we see out of, um, out of the pandemic and out of the exhaustion pastors are feeling is, is maybe first of all, like a time of rest but then also like a reinvigoration, mm-hmm. like perhaps like a new like sense of, OK, we have survived this thing. Wow, it's been painful. But like we are clearer than ever about what our mission as a church is and mm-hmm. who we are. And so we're going to run after that, not in a way that's wearying people. So I, I don't mean like run after that. So, so I just mean like a, a clearer perspective, a fresh vision and a new energy. I think that's what I'm praying for, for all the pastors coming out of the vision. I do want to just point out underneath at this article at religionnews.com where they're talking about, is this really the great pastor resignation? Somebody commented, if pastors are tired, imagine how the laity are feeling, but no one ever asks. And I think that's really Mm. telling like our, our people in our churches as worn out as we are if so what do we need to be doing this summer even approaching the easter season to be rebuilding caring for our people so that we can move forward for the long haul these are interesting questions for us to continue considering as we continue leading ladies and gentlemen it's time for some Everybody, welcome back to the Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson, alongside my co-host Brian Fram, and it is the end of today's show. The end of every show, we love to bring you something to put a smile on your face, or challenge you, or encourage you. One of our favorite places to go to put that smile on your face is a website called the Good News Network, where they basically just share good news stories. And in a world that is often very overwhelming Mm -hmm. and sometimes, well, not sometimes, often heartbreaking with the news we're reading, it's nice to get a little fresh dose of some good news, see some fun things that are happening around the world. So, Brian, do you have a story for us? Yeah, two newly identified species of see-through glass frogs are found in Ecuador. And you do need to check this out. It says here, amazing photos. They are amazing. Uh, two new species of a glass frog were found living in the same 6,200-acre reserve, showing just how much is yet to be discovered in the tropical Andes. At first, seeming perfectly identical to each other, the frogs were actually found to have very large differences. The newly discovered, can't say that word, lives on the southern side of Gualabamba, a river valley, which separates its territory. And so basically, they're see-through. These frogs, cool. you can look at them and you can see its heart and liver, Ooh, its intestines. Wow. But they can really blend in because <gasps> if they're on something, the color is coming through them. Oh, These are fascinating pictures. It's a new Nature's species? Crazy. Is that what you said? An undiscovered, undiscovered. species. Ooh, yep, yep. that's fun. There, I, I love hearing that because you know there's so many undiscovered things in nature. Nature is crazy. All right, here's another good story. A university gives an unexpected bonus to all employees saying thanks for their service during COVID. The chancellor of Vanderbilt University is recognizing all of the school's employees for their diligent work over the past two years with a surprise bonus in their paychecks. 
all the eligible faculty, staff, and postdocs will receive a $1,500 bonus in their paychecks at the end of March. That's around 9,000 workers, including part-time employees who are getting the generous bonus. In announcing the Chancellor's Recognition Award, which coincided with the March 17th anniversary of the university's founding 108 years ago, the Chancellor expressed gratitude for the extraordinary efforts of those at the heart of Vanderbilt's educational mission. He said this, it has not been easy especially during the unprecedented challenges of the pandemic. Unprecedented. There's a word that we've all grown very familiar with. But because of their dedication, they um, honored them with that bonus. That's a cool story, isn't it? Uh, Always nice to get extra stuff in your paycheck. Uh, Next one. He quit his job to offer Scottish Highland trips in New York school bus. Oh, a hostel on wheels. A business graduate is taking tourists on adventure trips amidst the Scottish Highlands. In a New York school bus. The 24-year-old came up with the idea after watching Expedition Happiness on Netflix about a couple traveling across North America in a refurbished school bus. Angus Luff, who graduated in 2019, quit his job as a management consultant in England to live out his dream of creating the Hostel on Wheels. He only worked in his job for three months before he decided, I don't want to do this. Dubbed the Bonnie Camper, the bus has been converted into a glamping RV mobile home with beds, seating areas, and a kitchen for up to six people. He hosts road trips across the highlands, arranging outdoor activities like hiking, cycling, kayaking, and swimming. Serving as the tour guide, Angus does all the driving, cooking, and cleaning before pitching a tent outside to give the guests full privacy on the bus. This is really cool. You see these so pictures cool. and he's driving this bus around and people are doing it. What I appreciate about this, Aubrey, is he had a high paying job and he went, nope, don't really want to do that. Oh, good, good for, for him. him. Like living his dream, giving tours of the Scottish Highland. I would do that. Well, I'd go on the tour. I don't know if I'd want to drive the bus all the time, but I like it. I like it a lot. I spent a summer in Scotland, Brian. Did you know that? I did not know that at all. I love it there. Love it. Love it. Love it there. Okay, Brian, there's also some good news. Anxiety can be a habit which means we can stop it if we know how. Dr. Judson Brewer is a psychiatrist. He is a practitioner. He's the author of Unwinding Anxiety. New science shows how to break the cycles of worry and fear to heal your mind. And he actually has a new app that he has built, a simple way to break a bad habit. You can view the app and you can, um, it's called the Unwinding Anxiety app which does what it just says, simple ways to unwind anxiety. And what he argues is that people can become 10% happier if they use this app. So basically, his whole argument is that people with anxiety disorders can try and prevent the habitual loops that they're on by mapping out a sequence of their thoughts. Those first anxious feelings leads to some of these thoughts. Then those thoughts reinforce the anxious feelings and so on. You can disrupt this flow, and that will be the key for breaking out of the anxious habit and curtailing many other downstream effects of anxiety, such as overeating, poor sleep, and more. So that's some good news, some practical help for people who are struggling with anxiety. That is good. I'm sure it works. Cynical me is like... For only this price, you can be 10% less anxious. I I agree. And 10% feels kind of like, really? But hopefully if you download the app, it it does help. I'm sure if you upgrade it, it goes to 20% (laughs) and just keep going. So uh, this is a good story. I saw this out of the Ukraine. Strangers are leaving strollers, diapers, and toys at the border for Ukrainian refugee moms. An image recently uh, shared around social media of empty strollers on a Polish rail border crossing has inspired a mountain of donations for Ukraine. Ukrainian refugees. 
Uh, women, children, and infants fleeing the war are being greeted by mountains of clothes, stuffed animals, strollers, diapers, and more after they step off the train. ABC reports that the number of spare carriers and strollers from Polish mothers have been per- uh, particularly inspiring, with many donators leaving handwritten notes behind with words of support. We see on the television and hear on the radio what happened, and we say, okay, we can help, one Polish mother said. The effort has become more organized over the week, which CNN details has spread like wild fire, mostly by word of mouth. The border crossing from the Ukraine involves taking a train to the station, which has become the center of the relief effort. And you see this picture, and it is just full of empty strollers, diapers, and everything. You think about it, right? These moms with these kids fleeing. What are they going to do? And these people in Poland and other places are going, hey, this is something we can Mm. do to help. I love that. That is is so powerful right there. There's another story about folks helping Ukraine. Airbnb and its community raise more more than $40 million and offers 150,000 temporary homes for Ukraine. GNN reported earlier this month that from March 2nd to March 3rd, people from around the world booked 61,000 nights in Ukrainian cities via Airbnb, likely not one ever planning to check in or reschedule. Oh. It was part of a creative social media campaign to channel funds into besieged cities where something like aid drops or supply trucks cannot reach. They saw $1.9 million raised for Ukrainians in 48 hours. Since that day, booking of Airbnbs across U- Ukraine has continued with 434,000 rooms reserved and $15 million wow. raised. This is a cool, cool story. We are so humbled by the inspiring generosity of our community during this month of crisis, said Haven Thorne, a company spokesperson. The company CEO also responded on Twitter. He said, one week later, 434,000 nights have been booked. That's $15 million going to host in Ukraine. I love that story. It's very Man. cool. Last one. 30 minutes of lifting weights, push-ups, or yard work weekly may cut death risk of death. Start over. Start over. 30 minutes of lifting weights, push-ups, or yard work weekly may cut risk risk of death by 20%. What? You love yard work, Brian. Or I at least do. mowing and the this lawn. Is 30 minutes weekly. Wow. Weekly, not even daily. A meta-analysis of more than half a million people has shown that a truly bare minimum of strength training can ref- can confer enormous benefits. Okay. Researchers in Japan discovered that 30 to 60, well, I'm never going to tell me 60, 30 to 60 <laughs> minutes per week of muscle strengthening activities such as yoga, lifting weights, or gardening can reduce the risk of death from all causes by 10 to 20%. No way. With combined, when combined with aerobic exercise, such as running, cycling, or swimming, this benefit was seen to rise to 40%. Uh, and they just kept going. But Aubrey really looks like a little bit can go a long way towards Man. helping out. Which is good because a lot of times we think, I don't have an hour a day or two hours a don't day. Don't even need that much. Nope, do not. You can come over to my house and do yard work whenever you want to, Brian. Okay. It's not going to happen, but okay. All right, thanks. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope that put some uh, those good news stories put a smile on your face. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m., For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.